Um, this is the first episode where I'm going solo. Um, not going to lie, definitely a little bit nervous, but you just got to put the content out there, create, bring value to people and see where it takes you. So there's a few topics I want to get into. Uh, the first one um, in, uh, in favor of the ownership economy is uh, a clip or a snip uh, from the podcast Coinbase Around the Block, um, which is obviously done by Coinbase. Where Lee Jin, um, who's part of Variant Fund uh, with Jesse Walden, Spencer Noon, and some other great um, venture capitalist investors, um, gives the thesis of the ownership economy. So before I even name the podcast, the owner, in case you forgot, the ownership economy, I have to give credit to Variant Fund for coming up with this thesis and uh, me totally going all in on it because. I think there's a fundamental problem in the way that institutions, particularly corporations in today's world, operate. Um, and I think we're at an inflection point where these massive global corporate institutions are hurting the actual end consumers, aka us, the normal people, you know, the non Davos attendees from, you know, Klaus Schwab, um, who's, uh, just a sketchy figure, which we'll get into a little bit later. And he's kind of like the like the guy with like the like a white cat or like you know Doctor Evil. Like we're gonna get you to this, okay? Um, just listen to us. It's they called the economy. Very very sketchy. So first one, uh, it's just a minute clip, um, and I'll go to it right now. I think uh, uh, Lee does a great job explaining it, and so take a listen. Our, our entire thesis as a fund is what we call the ownership economy, is the idea that crypto enables ownership to be distributed across the internet as seamlessly, as easily, as frictionlessly as we've been distributing information across the internet. And what is the implication of being able to send value much more frictionlessly is that ownership can actually be distributed much more broadly than it has been historically. Historically, ownership has been confined to really this rarefied class of institutions and individuals who have special access, whether it's because they're accredited or they're working at a BC firm or whatever. But the idea of the ownership economy is that digital ownership is going to become a keystone of all types of new user experiences. And furthermore, that the winning internet products of the next era are going to be the ones that turn their users and owners. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. I'm a little bit excited because I don't really know the direction this is. All right. So, so the thesis is, is that going from, so we started with web one, which is, you know, early nineties, mid nineties, uh, you know, typical getting onto a website. A lot of people did with AOL, you know, be able to, to kind of, you know, search the web, get your email, things like that. Then you phase into in like about 2000, uh, actually like 2008. So 2007 uh, was um, my first year in college. And the same year the iPhone came out, I knew I was like, I have to get this phone. It plays music and is a phone. Like how cool you can only, you only need one thing. Um, but obviously it's much more than that. And that's Web2, which is like the mobile revolution, which, you know, you think of Ubers, you think of all the transactions just on mobile devices. Airbnb, uh, Facebook, social media, Instagram, you know, now TikTok, Snapchat, things like that. Um, and 
now we're going into this era that you're going to hear a lot of people say it's not going to happen or it's a fad or it's just people talking, which is crypto or the Web3 space. And it's the exact same sentiment, the exact same sentiment that happened with Web1, with Netscape and, you know, Mark Andreessen and ended up becoming extremely successful in Yahoo. And then number two, mobile, you know, uh, you know, Apple doesn't know what they're doing or there's nothing, you're never going to have anything. Now the app store does tens of billions of dollars. You have creators making a fortune just off their own apps. Um, and now, uh, you know, now you have this and then Uber, you got people, what people refer to as the gig economy, which honestly was really just like a coercion. All right. Well, and we're back. Uh, so Web3 or crypto, uh, you're going to hear this term, the ownership economy. And essentially what it is and why it's so important is you think of Meta, you think of Facebook, you think of everything that's happened over the past two years. And I would say even six years ago or so, People were obviously since 2008 distrust, distrusting large institutions, large banks, large corporations. And then you kind of had this more favorable sentiment towards them because Trump came into office and he was very controversial. And, you know, the media, because, you know, populist and kind of not really the establishment, a.k.a. lobbying, uh, you know, doesn't give him all the money. In fact, fun fact, he is the only president ever in the history of presidents to leave office with less personal wealth than he came in with. So he came in with, they say, $3 billion, whatever the number is, left with 2.3. Every other president made money while being president. Why? Because lobbyists and you know rich backers and donors and things like that get to them. And for that reason, they want them to pass certain things for their corporation or their own personal gain, and therefore they make more wealth. You know, this you have you know you have Bush who made like twenty million. You got Obama that made more than that. You know, you got Clinton that don't even get me started with that. Probably made the most. Um, and it's 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 really pretty much corruption at the highest level. But you know, we'll leave it as it may. But Trump ended up with less, and it's just ironic because all you hear is corruption and everything. And listen. I would not say I'm Republican or Democrat. In fact, I didn't even start listening or absorbing anything that has to do with politics until probably this whole COVID time because something was rubbing me the wrong way of like, to be honest, it started with this whole vaccine thing and people saying, you know, it's for the best and for the common good. So we need to force you to take it. Otherwise you're done or you're going to be just slandered in, in, you know, all of the media or, or on, you're going to be taken off social media. If you even ask that question, I'm like, if something's so good, your product's that great, then you should be able to persuade people naturally. You know, like if you have to force something down someone's throat uh, like that, I don't know. It, I guess I always leave room to be skeptical because probably not that great if you gotta literally force people to do something or they lose their job however i digress um and so we have we have what what capitalism is and what's going on is these large corporations that lost all of our trust over the years right because of the financial the you know the great recession and then you have basically a 10-year bull run so anybody graduating after 2010 or 11, which is myself, never experienced a down economy pretty much. 
And then COVID comes. And for some reason, because, because the mainstream media really hated Trump so much that they would pretty much do anything to give him a bad name, obviously making up stuff about Russia and whatever it might be. Uh, it was that he was a threat to the actual architecture of the government itself on both sides. The reason why Republicans didn't like him either is because since he didn't come up in the political system, he wasn't, you know, bought to to a certain extent. And so that's a threat to the people in power because it would make them lose power. And so that's why there was so, there was a huge sentiment to be against him. And that kind of led to people trusting, I feel like, the corporations a little bit more because they would get on that culture side of like, oh, you know, anti-Trump or all this stuff. And then 2020 comes, the election. And a lot of these institutions like a Disney take this side in the culture of this very, very radical that I believe is a very minority group of people. Um, and listen, I think everyone's entitled to their views. I think all views should be debated. I think it's super important to have conversation Without conversation, you have an authoritarian type regime that is not good for anybody. It's kind of like they say, it's like, uh, you know, you don't stand up for anyone. You stay quiet. Everyone stays quiet. And then when someone comes for you, it's too late because everyone's gone. I, I feel like we're at a moment now. And this is coming from someone, myself, who is not political, did not consume politics my entire life until this whole chaotic reset happened with, um, with COVID. And I realized something was up. And so, and I believe something is up and the world didn't feel right. And I'm sure you guys agree, you gals agree that the world just feels off. Like it feels like instead of like things being in place, it's almost like, it's like, it's like stuck. And it, it, it's just, it's weird. It's weird. And um, I think that energy is felt by everyone. And I was kind of of the mindset, you know, I, you know, I'm going to be quiet. I don't really, you know, I, I don't have a place to say anything, blah, blah, blah. And then I started seeing, like, for example, like uh, where I grew up, which is uh, Cuyahoga County, uh, which is in a, so, Cleveland area. And it in this particular area around these cities of the Solon, Orange, Moore Hills, it's a pretty, I would say, uh, upper middle class area, right? And you don't see a bunch of, like, you don't see any, like, homelessness or things like that, very little crime. And I recently saw on this corner that, I would pass all the time, like growing up when I could drive and stuff. Um, and then since I've been here with my family, uh, the this this mother and her kid there with a with a cardboard sign saying it said I saw this today. It said tough times need family needs help on this corner. That is like nobody's ever stood on that corner. And I swear to God that broke my heart. And I was like, okay, I've been thinking about doing this for a while. And just kind of give my opinion. And, you know, if it if anyone wants to listen, great. I just feel like I have a duty to tell, to provide at least someone out there with the objective truth. I do not, I have no incentive to lean left, to lean right, to lean center, to lean up, to down, tall, short. I have zero incentive. I only care about the objective truth. I don't give a shit about anything else. And I try to consume what's going on from all these different independent content creators, you know, taking a glance at the mainstream, which we know how that goes. And you have these biases because what's happening is, and this goes back to the ownership economy, which is maximizing shareholder wealth. That is the goal of business. Okay. And that's fine. But what happens is, is that you are going to maximize shareholder wealth 
at the expense of everything because that is your fiduciary responsibility. And so you take something like Pfizer, someone like Pfizer or a company like Pfizer into consideration. And if they're really making this vaccine and these medicines to make the world a better place, well, you know, they wouldn't patent it and, and not let, you know, African countries get it or, you know, try to sell it to the U.S. government for $100 a shot when it costs them like three cents. Like that's maximizing profits, which is what they're supposed to do. The problem I have is when the narrative in the mainstream or in culture is that this is good, it's science, it's fixed, it's done, it's safe, you're good. And then you have data coming out, like, for example, like the Pfizer documents, which just came out, uh, not it was coming out every month, and you have from December, whenever it's emergency authorized, like December 8th, but it says December 1st to February 28th, that's all that's out right now. It's only three months. And you have 46,000 people that have vaccine-related injuries. But you were being told that it's 100% safe, and if you don't get it, you're a terrible person, and you should basically just be removed from society or just put in a camp like my ancestors. Like, that fucked up. Like, if you go to Australia, you basically like in Auschwitz. Anyways, the ownership economy is restructuring how this entire capitalistic society works, which is instead of having these shareholders own Meta, own Facebook, we're at the expense of the end consumer, us, me, you, you, I, they will do anything to exploit us to bring the maximum amount of shareholder value. Whereas with the ownership economy, with crypto, with Web3, it changes the infrastructure of these dynamics to where people that are consumers of these products, of these platforms, of these services, okay, also are an owner of this. So take Twitter, for instance, where they basically take everyone off they don't agree with, which happens to be people on the right. And like I said, I'm not right, left, center, blah, 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 blah. I'm not, I'm not into the whole yin yang, you're on this side, that side. I'm more of like team human, like let's all get along. And, and I know that's like far, it's almost like being at like a pat, like a, you know, Miss Universe uh, pageant and being like, oh, world peace. And that's probably not going to happen. But I just want people to have a fair, I want equal access to opportunity, not equal access, not equal outcomes. Let that dictate itself amongst the competition, but everybody, whether you're, you know, you're poor, broken, you know, a broken family in the middle of Africa, that's not your choice compared to someone who's very wealthy, born in a really, you know, upper class family in New York. Like they should both have equal access to the opportunity and then let the best man, woman, you know, the purple person, blah, 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 whatever you want to call, win. Okay. And so what the ownership economy does is if Twitter, think about Twitter, if it was owned by all of its users and there was a governance structure where everybody has a vote or a say in it and everything goes up to a vote, like for example, you know, should a president be taken off? Well, then that comes down to the users itself, not an, uh, a, um, a random body of people inside the company of, you know, Facebook, excuse me, in Facebook, excuse me, uh, that says, okay, we are going to take this off because this speech is something we just don't agree with. So we're going to censor it. And the fact that when we censor things, we literally use the word disinformation. It blows my mind. That, that is in our normal dialogue in this country in 2022 because the first time I even heard that, I was like, what the hell does this mean? And I look it up online and it says something like, 
1928 or something, it was created by the Soviet Union to combat any speech that's different from its narrative. And then it seeped into our culture in 2022 as like a normal word to say dangerous information. The word was created by the Soviet Union to combat anything that wavered from whatever their agenda was. Like, does anyone, what? That's not talked about? That was how the word was created. It was created with, with malintent. And we're using it like, yeah, you know, it's whatever. We should use it. We shouldn't use it. Oh, you disinformation. We need a governance board. We need the Ministry of Truth. It's crazy. And even if you agree with that, that's fine. And, and I respect that. But if you don't have debates, just like what people want. So, so I would say that if you agree with that, that governance board, Ministry of Truth, you probably tend to agree of you know, what's happening with the gender identity and the, how, you know, gender fluid and there's all this, you know, stuff going on, uh, in, uh, in the realm of, uh, uh, culture of, of what you are and, and kind of like, you know, how you feel inside versus how people see you, what pronouns, and that's fine. Like I could care less. You want to go by they, their, he, she, all's good to me. You can go by paperclip if you want. I all good. I have no problem with that whatsoever. The, if that's the case, if, if you are someone who agrees with the censorship, you probably also say, or I seem, it seemingly seems to me that the people who say that are also the ones that are like, it's very good to have this dialogue about, you know, what it's like to be transgender and to have this, you know, open conversation of like, for example, what happened with Matt Walsh's uh, recent, Matt Walsh is a, uh, he speaks, he's a conservative speaker for, or has a talk show on the Daily Wire. And he came out with a documentary that's uh, controversial. That's called What is a Woman? And basically interviews a bunch of uh, woke people, a bunch of non-woke people. And this is in search of this, you know, what is a woman? And what happens is, is that he gets on this Dr. Phil show and this thing went viral, I believe. So you may, you may have seen it. And it's two non-binary people versus Matt Walsh. And the two non-binary people say it's good to have these, you know, it's important to raise these discussions about, you know, gender and these nuances and that having this dialogue is extremely important because debating it and having conversation brings awareness and without awareness, there's no acceptance. And that's great. And that's, that's probably true. But in the same breath to then say that we need the disinformation governance board to suffocate any opinion that is contrary to what we want it to be is optimal is not good, right? Those contradict each other. Let's have dialogue, open debate, but on these subjects like vaccines and stuff, we won't. It's not good. It's not a good thing to not have a debate. If you have a debate and even if someone's saying things like, you know, justifying why uh, the KKK is, is such a noble and good thing, right? They should be able to have that debate. They're just simply going to make a fool of themselves, right? That obviously the KKK brings no value, in my opinion. However, someone might be on the other side of saying, hey, it brings value because X, Y, Z. Let the people decide. Make your own decision. I don't like the idea of these massive conglomerates, you know, global organizations like a Pfizer 
taking control of all the media outlets, you know, taking control of the politicians, taking control of people who are incentivized to take money and then spew whatever it is they want them to say without disregard for like, oh my God, there is no one size fits all for everyone. This may affect someone in a negative way. Or if you're four years old, you know, maybe you shouldn't get this type of medication as opposed to when you're six foot eight and 28 years old. Everybody's different. Everyone's nuanced. That's exactly what the, the two non-binary people said in the Dr. Phil special. And because of that, you need to treat everyone on a one by one basis. Everyone's different, personalized. Um, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And uh, I think that if you believe that in the gender sense, that you should consider what that would be like in the vaccination sense or in the medical community. Like, is there really a, everybody gets this and it works? Of course not. It can't be. It can't be. But so bringing this full circle, and I know I'm getting a little bit off track here, and this is my first episode of this, so bear with me. The ownership economy is going to fundamentally shift the controls and purposes of every organization to not just strictly maximize shareholder value, although, although maximizing value for everyone who owns it is important. The difference is for the first time ever, you can line, align the economic incentives with the actual functional incentives of the product or service together so that if you're maximizing value for the shareholders, well, then you're maximizing value for the users. The users are the shareholders. If you look at how it is now, of course that's not it. Regular people can't even invest the same way that you know elite wealthy people can. You know, a credit investor, a whole bunch of reasons and laws with the stock market and whatnot. Look at what happened with Robinhood, for example. There are different rules if you are a rich global elite versus a normal human being. I'm a normal human being, whatever that means. Probably an abnormal human being, honestly or probably even worse than that. If I had a larger vocabulary, I would probably say something worse than abnormal. I'm a human being though. You're a human being most likely if you're watching this. Although if this is way in the future, they probably put Neuralink in your head and then you know, you, you're programmed to you know, be whatever. But that could be good, but it could be bad. It's important to just have these debates. And so having mistrust of very powerful people and corporations is healthy in my opinion to question the people who are running the show of the world, the Klaus Schwab, you know, we need to get everybody in line and that's how you should be, <laughs> is important because if you do not question them, people with power will keep expanding the power and expanding the power and then it's too late and your life's gone. And I think individualism from the sense of freedom and making your own choices is awfully important. And I think that we take it for granted of what's that like, what that's like. And so if we can shift the way these massive corporations are structured to have the users be the shareholders, just like it was said in that, in that, um, in that clip um, by Lee Jin of Varian Fund, fundamentally changing the internet in that way. And then also having a monetary system tied to it, which is crypto, whether that be Bitcoin or you know another coin, is going to be good for everybody. And, uh, or, you know, I'm sure there's downsides to it. However, it's better than having such a powerful company like a Pfizer, 
have so much power from every angle that you can actually have the media be subjective and not hold it accountable. You know, like for one example, you look at Davos where all the billionaires are meeting and Klaus Schwab is running the show. Klaus Schwab, what a name. Klaus. Klaus is running the show and gets all these people here saying, hey, this is how we need to restructure the world. And guess who's an invited guest? Not a guest to cover the actual thing, but an invited guest with a name tag. They were white name tags for this type of person or for reporters. The New York Times. I have no problem with them. I have no problem at all. But if you're an invited guest, right, and you're getting these perks or paid to go out there, how in the world can you possibly be so independent and hold it accountable when you're intertwined with the actual construction of the new world order itself? It should be questioned. Being questioned is not a bad thing. Let people, and when people are questioned and they don't want to talk, like Rebel News, the guy from Rebel News, for example, went up to the New York Times, like editor in chief or something, was sitting having coffee in Davos. And he's like, you know, how can you be independent, uh, uh, you know, when you're invited member of Davos? And she wouldn't talk. I've noticed that when people don't respond to, you know, random things in the street of being interviewed um, and just want to keep quiet, well, it makes me think that something not right is going on. Like, like people get angry and, and about having to talk about legitimate questions. Like, how can you be independent? Well, we can be independent because even though we're invited, we take our, you know, uh, the journalistic protocol, whatever it's called, very seriously. And we wouldn't compromise that for any means necessary. They, they invited us, but we just come and put on the tip. Like, but to say nothing's go. It makes me worried. And maybe my worriness is not accurate. And I hope it's not. But to not ask the questions puts us in jeopardy. And why people would get mad at the Rebel News guy or myself for saying this is so odd to me because we are in the same boat versus the massive corporation that is really not in our boat. Like, they're way more powerful and could do anything. We are in the same boat. We should be like, all right, I don't agree with that person, but let him question away because I'll get more data points so I can make the better decision. But when a company's like, hey, we have all the results from this vaccination, all this stuff, but we don't want to release it for 75 years because you'll just be so happy to hear the results that we just don't want to surprise you for 75 years. It's probably not the case. It's probably like, oh shit, we need to hide this because it's not good. Or when they were filling out the data, like there were supposedly windows within Pfizer that were covered in like black tarp so you couldn't see on the inside. Why being secretive to me is almost always a red flag. It doesn't mean it always is, but to question it, I think is safe for everybody. You may disagree with me. You may agree with me, but if you disagree with me, all I say is that's okay. I'm on your team. Let's get the answers together from all our angles. You'll probably ask questions I wouldn't ask, and I'll ask questions that you wouldn't ask, and then we go and triangulate our answers, and then we get a more uh, objective truth amongst what's really going on with people who are so powerful that haven't had to answer any questions of legitimacy yet. I feel like the earth, I feel like the vibe or the energy is shifting, and I think the biggest thing that's going to catapult this shift is the uh is is the um the future of the ownership economy is that actually taking hold and becoming a an actual functional 
you know, organizational body that, that works in the society. Um, this is going to be the new internet. This is going to be the new way that, you know, societies are stri- structured where owners and users are the same person. Why saying that is controversial. I don't know. And I'd love to hear what anyone else says. Um, I'm just about, let's find the truth together. Like if you don't question those in power, you're just, it's just a massive risk for all of us. So let's ask, like when Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab is like, okay, let's, uh, let's have this globalist agenda of centralized governing power for the whole world without anybody, uh, you know, being voted in or whatever. We just have all the billionaires money and then have everybody fall in line. In fact, one of the, the world economic forum, WF, one of their videos, like promo videos, and I'll play this and I'll, I'll play this on, on the next show. It says like this, it comes on, it's like a promo video. And then there's a guy that comes on and he's, it goes, it goes, guy comes on, he's like this, or, or they show a house and it goes, you in, in 10 years or in 2030, you will own nothing. Okay. And then it says in the next one, the guy comes on and smiles and you will be happy. That's a little scary. Cause we all know that owning shit is what really generates wealth and what generate, you know, you don't, you don't end up changing your financial circumstances or really anything from a salary and a paycheck. It's really ownership. It's owning assets, it's equity and expanding. It's like, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Don't tell me that shit. Let me decide that. Like, fuck. Like, so disagree. So if you totally agree with Davos and the world, you know, the global agenda and, you know, Pfizer's the most truthful body, you know, uh, business in the world and they would never tell a lie. They're all about the human good. Fine. Totally cool. But why can't we ask questions? Why are we shutting down legitimate questions? Just why? Why can't we ask the questions? If you don't want to hear the answer, just don't listen to it. That's fine. But I think there's a lot of fucking people out there that want to hear the answer. And I'm really starting to believe that what we hear most often that's so loud is the vast minority of people. The shit that we hear that is so loud, I think is no more than 10% of the population. Because everyone I talk to and everyone that I know is all about, like, just leave me alone. Let me live my life. Let's be safe. Like, people just don't want crime. They don't want to have to worry about, you know, their their uh, their lifestyle. Or they don't want to worry about, like, oh, my God, I can't go to my friend's house in the grocery store because the gas is $400 a gallon. People just want to live their lives and just be like, okay, cool. And we get along. Like, that's 90% of people, at least. So... Just because something's the loudest doesn't mean it's the majority. And again, this is my opinion, and I could totally be wrong. However, in my life, my ability to recognize human patterns and gut instinct has been pretty good. Um, Not perfect, but like scarily good. And I just think like people just want to live a life, not be bothered and like be with people they want to be around, not have all this left, right, up, down, like you, them, like us together and let's move forward. Like the only way that we all have a better life for ourselves, no matter what, no matter what class, what you believe in is that we work together as a society and we could disagree on 90% of things, but I think we agree that we want to live a good life. We want to be healthy. We want to be safe. And if we have kids, we want the kids to have a better world. If we all agree on those fundamental things, Let's disagree all the time, but let's at least never waver from those 
core principles. That's what I think. And to be told something and to say, hey, you can't ask a question about it ever. To me, it's like red flag. And if it's not a red flag to you, let me at least exercise the ability to have to ask questions that at least, that makes my red flag go down just like yours never came up. Because we don't want to have red flags. Nobody wants to have red flags. Red flags, no good. Okay? We don't want blue flags. We don't want white flags. We, we don't want flags. Okay? We want trust. We want like, oh, wow, they're being genuine. However, when you suffocate a side of a debate and do not let it out, if it's such a good argument that you cannot have a counter argument, it's probably not that good of an argument. Am I nuts? Am I losing my mind? Like, isn't that what that means? Man, all right. That was the first segment. And uh, I just find it interesting. If you have any comments on that, like, definitely leave it below. Um, and, you know, I promise this will get better. But